0: for leading us in those songs. Our neighbor had some fun this week and I came home to a lovely little present in our um, in our, uh, post box. Debbie knows what happened to her neighbor. Where's Debbie? Debbie, right there. Do you know what happened to Anne? Yesterday or... No, before yesterday. She's a lovely person. Um, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> no, she's a lovely person. It's really sad uh, what's happened to her. But but I was thinking of something else. My beautiful wife got a phone call during the week going, Don't come out of your house! She, she's a nice, calm person, so she would have said it in a gentle, lovely, calm tones. But don't come out of your house. There's a snake in my front garden. Is that kind of... Yes, must be true. She phoned us to tell us there was a snake in her front garden. Uh, She was really nice. Basically, don't go out. Be very careful when you walk. There's people coming to fetch it. The good news is I I presume they had fetched it, um, but turns out I found out yesterday, no, they couldn't find it. So there's a snake somewhere in our neighborhood. Uh, We've got a card in the post box saying, here is the number of the snake catcher if you find it. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I love snakes about as much as I love spiders. Oh, I, Taryn, can I tell them the story of how I punched you? Do you want to tell them the story of how I punched you? Please tell them. Taryn and I were going for a walk around a lake. It had been raining that week. The path was flooded, but there was a little footpath next to the main path. And so we started walking. I'm in front, you know, being a good husband, protecting my wife, going in front. I stop. There's a snake crawling away from me. I yell, snake! I turn around, arms flailing. I punch her in the nose. I fall down in the water. The snake still... I get up. I'm covered head to foot in mud. And Taryn looks at me and says, you do know you hit me. She she was doing the right she just stood there calm and collected I hate snakes they make me afraid uh, who here is something that gloria Oh and it was running away already It was already going away from me when I did this Well I don't blame you but can I just see who here is afraid of something Snakes Snakes, spiders, and burglars, and lightning, cockroaches, fire. You know, there's something interesting about all of these things that we've mentioned here. They are things which challenge our safety and our existence. Why are we scared of snakes? not because they feel icky and they feel icky, but because they can bite us and then we're going to die. Why spiders? Not because they, they're lovely and furry, but because they're going to bite us and we're going to die. Why burglars? Because they're going to break in, they're going to bash us up. We're going to go into hospital. We're going to lose all our stuff and we might die. <laughs> um, what was some of their Fire. We love fire, don't we? I, I love, ask Taryn, I, I love fire, but if a fire is out, we get scared. Why? Because it's going to trap us, it's going to burn us, we're going to have a horrible death. You know, fear is something that drives humans. It really is something that drives humans. And, and, and at our core, I think one of the things we fear the most is, is death. Most religions, um, most ways of being religious... Well, it's all about getting control over our lives, over the universe, over our environment, to the point where we don't have to fear anymore. Ah, ah, I fear the weight of the lectern. Uh, We went walking around another lake. We went walking around Hernsman Lake a few weeks ago, and there's tiger snakes all over the place. You can imagine my conversation with my wife as we walked around the lake. We didn't see any, but still. Just around the corner from there is another lake, but surrounding it is our houses and a development, and there are no tiger snakes there. This is what we do. We, we try and structure things so that we've got nothing to fear. We do it with our religion. Um, and we've seen over the past few weeks some of the ways we can do it. We can, we can try and, and, and define our lives... By living under God, so we have to do enough to keep God happy. But but this doesn't take away our fear. It, if anything, it it makes us fear even more. Are we good enough for God? Have I have I done enough for Him this week? We can try and define our lives by by just ignoring God or pretending like He's He's no actual presence in the world and. And the thing is, we find then that that I am teensy tiny and this world is massive and I just can't control it. We can try and define our lives by by saying, well, it's all about the stuff that God can give me. But doesn't that just lead us to fear? Well, maybe God will stop. He's blessed me all these years, but he hasn't blessed that person. Maybe he'll stop blessing me. We can try and define our lives by what we do for God. But our fear can grow that we haven't done enough. You see, being religious, religiosity, doesn't give inner peace. It just keeps us running scared. You find me a highly religious person. And chances are they're running scared. You know when you're running faster and you feel like you're going to fall over? What do you do to stop yourself falling over? No, you run faster. If you're sensible, you slow down. You realize you're falling. but, But you run faster to try and catch your feet up to the rest of your body. And it's stupid because you're going to fall. But that's what we do. We are like Jeremiah 2.13 where where God says to them, you're like people who dig leaky wells that can hold no water. And we just keep pouring water in. Pouring water in and it just runs away. But we've seen, I hope we've seen that, that life with God, if we define our lives, define our lives, At the center of our lives, if we define it as living with God. uh, it's, It's different than all of these other ways of defining our lives and defining being religious. Because life with God is not about getting control. Every other form of religion is about getting control. Ultimately, but life with God is more about surrendering control and trusting God. Have you ever watched trapeze artists? Henry Nguyen, the, the theologian, and let me say again, um, I'm indebted to, to Sky Gitani's book, With, for this parts of the sermon. Um, Henry Nguyen, he tells the story of this great theologian um, who was watching the trapeze artists. And he realized what matters for a trapeze artist isn't so much letting go of the bar, I mean, any old fool can let go of a bar. What matters is knowing that someone will catch you. He said, I can only fly freely when I know that there is a catcher to catch me. And so the real question for us today is this. Do I trust God to catch me? And can I trust him amidst the fears of this world? Now whether, you, uh, whether I trust you depends a lot on uh, the sort of person that you are. If I have known Colin for years and years and years and I know that every time I say catch me he walks away, I'm not going to try and, and rely on him to catch me. But it's the same with God. The sort of person God is defines whether I will trust him or not. And and. We come to our passage today and we say to it, what is God like? And I think John answers and says to us, God is absolutely trustworthy. Why? Because God is love. God is love. It, it's not that God is loving. It's not that one of the things God does is to love us. I mean, that that's true, but, but John says something even more radical than that. He's saying that God is love. There is no part of God that is not driven by or expressing of love. Even God's anger and wrath is just the flip side of His jealous love. Why does God get angry? Because He loves us too much for us to be caught up in sin. Everything about God is driven by His love. That doesn't mean, let's just quickly say that that we can interchange love and God. The words aren't synonyms. And let's also be pretty clear that that God is love, but love isn't God. It is God's character that defines what love is, not the other way around. So how do I know that God is love? Well, I know it by how He has acted in history. Particularly I know it because he sent his own son, Jesus. Why? Because he loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I think in Jesus we see something of God's heart, God's character, God's person revealed and unveiled for us all to see. I mean, Jesus was sent from the Father to us that you and I might live, that we might be with him. That we might learn to treasure him. And that we might learn how much He treasures us. That we might be united to Him. That we might be with Him for all eternity. He loved us so much, says John here in verses 9 and 10, that He was willing to pay the ultimate penalty for our sins, as we've remembered at communion, that we might be reconciled with God. This is our God. This is who He is. This is the God of extravagant love expressed in history in space, in time. Who is God? God is love. Now, I'm trying to read your expressions and I'm wondering if they're, oh, um, yeah, yeah, God's love. Heard this. Moving on. History was 2,000 years ago. John saw Jesus. He, he touched Him. He ate with Him. John could write clearly, God is love. But does God still love us today? I mean, God does bless today. He, he heals the sick. He, he does all sorts of amazing things. But how do I know that God still is love? Well, partly because the Bible says God never changes, but but I think one of the ways we experience it. Remember last week we were we were on about experiencing God now. One of the ways we experience that God is love is through God's people. I read a uh, an interesting illustration this week. It's uh, Dr. Kathleen Warmke, director of the Center for Pre-Speech Development and Developmental Disorders at the University of Würzburg in Germany. You've got to have fun with German names, don't you? She did the study of uh, babies crying. Now, I don't know many people who like to listen to babies cry, but she recorded Lots and lots and lots and lots of babies crying. Um, and she did it across different nationalities. And she analyzed the cries of the babies and babies cry is a babies cry. Yes? They're different. And you know what she found? They're actually different. They cry with an accent. They cry with an accent babies cry with an accent in france babies consistently inflect from a low to a high pitch it's wahai <laughs> in germany thank you i'll be here all week in germany it's the opposite it's high to low it's aiwa <laughs> apparently they're all chinese <laughs> the revolutionary element in this discovery is that the intonation pattern exactly mimics the melody of the mother or more precisely the patterns of speech characteristic of the mother's national language. The the womb-bound baby hears this and copies it at birth. A baby eavesdrops on its mother for nine months. It puts its ear to the rail of her bones and listens to the train of her sorrow and gladness coming for miles. The child emerges from its mother's insides with her voice ringing in its ears, her music echoing in its own bones. And as a result, its first instinct is to sing It's mother's song. This person who wrote this, Mark Buchanan, says, this got me wondering. What song do we overhear from heaven that we try to sing on earth? We may sing it poorly, squalling and squawking, but we sing it instinctually. It's in our bones. What's the music of heaven? What's the voice of the Father that every human's heart, at least in muffled form, and every human can copy, at least in mangled form, It's love. Love is the music of heaven. The church is the community of those who are loved by God. We've seen this over the past weeks, how much God loves us. How clearly every song that he sings, every word that he says says, just resounds with His love for us. How on the cross, His love booms across the universe. And the community of God, the church, is the place where God Himself is in residence. Where He lives by His Spirit in us, amongst us. And so John says to us, because we are loved by God, let us show that love. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In fact, John says in verses 8 and 20 that that someone who doesn't love others can't possibly know God. Does that make anyone here feel uncomfortable? You know, it's true. Sin does get in the way, but but a child unthinkingly mimics its mother and the more we spend in God with God amongst God the more we mimic him the more his love gets expressed in us and through us and john's not just saying do it unthinkingly he he wants us to go out of our way to love he says since god has loved us let us love others and he's not saying Go and love the Christians in your church. Because if you do, God will love you. He is not saying, God will be angry with you if you don't love your neighbor. No, he's saying, God has loved you. The melody that surrounds you from God is the melody of love. Now go out and sing it to the others. We've never seen God. But we have seen his people. And John says in verse 12, he says to us over there, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. God's love fully expressed in us as we love each other. As we pray for each other's needs, as we help each other, as we support each other. Uh, you think of the Acts church where they sold everything they had to, to help those who had nothing. And, and Paul bringing a gift from the churches in Macedonia to the church in Jerusalem that was suffering. Why? Because of love. Let every, uh, make sure you pay every debt, said Paul uh, a month ago. Except let only this debt remain outstanding, the debt to love. John's not saying that um, we should love humans to grow more and more into divine love. John's not giving us a recipe for being more like God. He's giving us symptoms. If God lives in us, God is love. God is in us. God is love in us. if God's really in us, we would love God and we would love his children. But Nick, some of his children are scumbags. Yes, I am. And so are you. (laughs) And God loves me and God loves you. My brother and I know exactly how to get on each other's nerves I can push his buttons and he can push mine but his family and if he needed anything I would do it if he needed a kidney I would grumble about it but I would do it I hope <laughs> yeah, that, that's what family does isn't it that's what family does It's easy, it's so easy to say, I love God and He's so good and I love Him and I think that He is wonderful. Get out of my way, John. You're just a nuisance. It doesn't fit, does it? I love you so much, God, but you really messed up choosing that person. No, if we love God, One of the symptoms is loving his children. How, how can we be sure that God is with us? How can we be sure that God is with us? You see, all of this relies on the fact that God is with us and in us. We'll have a look at verse 13. God has given his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Those who obey God's command to love, those who live in love, uh, those who... The adjectives get really, adjectives? The ins get really confusing here because everything is in each other. Those who obey God's commands live in him and he lives in them. The the same spirit comes into our lives and points us to Christ and opens our eyes that we might treasure him more and more and more. And opens our eyes that we might treasure his more and more and more. And, and since God is love, wherever the Spirit of God is active, love will be in evidence. I mean, yes, we can be very unloving at times and we're not perfect yet, but, but the Spirit is leading us on a journey, forming our character into the character of God whose nature is love. I find it very interesting that one of the first, well actually the first fruit of the Spirit is Love. How else can we be sure that God is with us? Well, have a look at verse 14. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father and his sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Not we, us, but John. He says we are eyewitnesses. We today have the testimony of the apostles. We, we haven't seen Jesus, but they did. They, they saw Him, they touched Him, they ate with Him. Jesus promised that He would always be with us. And, and if He actually rose from the dead... If all of the other promises are yes in Jesus, then then surely we can trust the promise where he says, I will be in you, and I will be with you, and I will be there all the time. Verse 15, John says to us, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. And we're not just saying, Jesus is the Son of God. It's, it's not just spouting the words. This is coming to a realization for ourselves and, and and knowing who God is, who Jesus is. And if He is who He says He is, then He is the Son of God who promised that He would be in us and with us and never forsake us. We have the Spirit who opens our eyes to Jesus. We have the testimony of the apostles whom we believe and come to see who Jesus really is and then out of that, we trust god 's love. we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. And as we live in God as, as our love grows more and more perfect, because God is forming more and more of himself in us, we, we grow more and more like him, but what about, we're almost done here, by the way. What about our problem from the beginning? We've gotten a bit of a tangent here, haven't we? Who is God? Is He trustworthy? Is He still with us? Does He still love us? How can we be sure? Nick, my problem is I'm afraid. And religion All this trying to seek control, it it just doesn't work. But how do I deal with that? Any notion that we can control our own fate and, and drive out our fears, it's drivel. But if we live in God's love and if God lives in us, we have nothing to fear. Verse 18, just one of my favorite verses ever. Perfect love. God's love is perfect and God is forming His perfect love in us. The more we spend time with Him, perfect love drives out fear. It expels it. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. If I live in fear of God's Punishing me. Has anyone ever been afraid of God with a big stick? Never? Never? Eric, you have. Fran? Taryn? Leonora? Colin? Just all put your hands up. (laughs) If you haven't, I envy you. Because if we live in fear of God's punishing us, we haven't realized yet how much he loves us. Or we've forgotten how much he loves us. There are so many Christians in this world of ours who are caught in a web of fear, who are afraid that God is angry about some past thing that you've done. We were talking in the car yesterday. I was house sitting about 14 years ago and I borrowed a book and I don't think I ever returned it. Oh! Boy, God's going to whack me for that. No. I need to check whether I can still return that book, see if I've still got it. But maybe we, we're afraid that God's angry because, you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, I'm not good enough yet. Eric's always smiling no matter what his circumstances is. He's made it. How come I'm not as good a Christian as Eric? God's going to look at Eric and he's going to compare me to Eric and he's going to, Eric, you're brilliant and Nick, you're, why can't you be more like Eric? And Eric's going, God's going to look at me and he's going to say, Eric, why can't you be more like Lynn? If we're thinking like this, we don't know how much God loves us. How many Christians are paralyzed thinking that God is standing there with a big stick waiting to whack us when in fact God is standing there with his arms wide open? You know, the devil is all too happy to whisper these lies that we tell ourselves. Yes, you're right. You are the worst person. Yes, yes, you're right. He could never love you after that. Yes, you're right. He's not going to love you now. Yes, you are so right. You're just not as good as that person. He might as well give up. God's standing there, not with a big stick. He's, he's standing there with nail-scarred hands going, I love you so much. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. He loved us enough to send His own Son to die with us. He said, any punishment that we deserve has already been paid for. There's nothing left to pay. And if, if only we would realize how much God loves us, We wouldn't dread His presence. We wouldn't even dread death. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Can snakes or spiders? Or fire or cockroaches? Or any of these things? That's the Nicholas authorized version. It's not quite according to Scripture, but... I think it carries the point. If only we would realize how much God loves us. If only we would grow and long for His presence. If we would long for His presence, we would pray for it. We would live like heaven was already here on earth. May your kingdom come. If only we realized how perfectly God loves me. (sighs) We would want to love him, to treasure him more and more and to treasure his children too. The more we realize God's love, the more we love God. And the more we love God, the less we are prone to fear. And the less we are prone to fear, the more we realize God's love. And the more we realize God's love, the more we love God. And the more we love God, the less we are prone to fear. And the less we are prone to fear, the more we realize God's love and the more we... And we break out of the cycle of fear and seeking control. And we go to, I trust you. And I love you. And I trust you. And I love you. And I will surrender all of my fears and worries to you because you are the one who loves me. Brothers and sisters, this is love, not that we love God. But that he loves. Can you say it with me? One word, M E, me, me. Thanks, Pastor Nick.